Sarah was not prepared. No, my headphones were not on when I heard the beep that indicates it is time to begin, but now they are on. I am ready, and it's episode 193. Hello, everyone. I love catching Sarah off guard, really, because there's absolutely no difference whatsoever <laughs> between when That's she's ready true. and when she's not. Sarah yeah. is very good at being herself. You know what you're really good at? Putting me in a good mood. I was in a crummy mood and I even had like a whole speech prepared of how I was going to get here and I was going to be like, look, look, Suze, I'm like not in a good mood today. You're kidding me. This is, I don't know what I'm going to give you if it's like not going to be that good of a podcast. So, meh. What? Yes. Is there something, like, is there a reason? Uh, You know, maybe it just like... The times they are changing. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I, I, I was thinking about a lot is the episode that we did on gratitude. Okay. And on, and then I watched, in, I, I was like pr- doing my own therapy last week and kind of processing some stuff. Yeah. And then I watched Pixar's Inside Out and it's all about how important sadness is. When we talked about that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I'm like, maybe I need to get more in touch with times where I feel crummy yeah. and not try to, maybe the reason why those times come up and rear their head every now and then are because I don't really get the chance to process the whole feeling of sadness or sorrow or grief or loneliness or loss or whatever it is. I just kind of skip on over it because I was watching the movie and I'm like, oh my God, I'm joy. Yeah. <laughs> Duh. Duh. And then like, I need to be more like sadness sometimes. Yeah. Well, especially if there is sadness and you're just trained, especially as a woman, to pretend like there's not. Yeah. Because that's why when you ask a woman, what's wrong? She always says, nothing. Nothing. Because we're trained right. to, even though we're very bad at faking it, we're supposed to push it down. Yeah. Let it out. Yeah, oh, so like interesting. I was, so I was just like feeling that and i'm like yeah i think i'm just gonna like you know have a day where i'm just gonna sit with it sit with it mm-hmm. and then i, I like, like to hung turn out mine Susie into five minutes <laughs> and then i was like okay fine everything's great out well, let's do the podcast you're actually in luck because i read something that i know will make you laugh oh great so oh, we could I'm just so start excited. with that let's do it we'll keep that momentum <laughs> okay. going i pray that you haven't already read this did you see the buzzfeed article about Somebody having a poop knife? (laughs) (laughs) No. Go on. So there was a somebody on Reddit Uh who said that they grew up in a house where they make really big poops. Their whole family is big, makes big logs. And if this is your first time listening, welcome aboard. And... Okay, so oh, they okay. had. I a, see where this is going. They had a knife that they kept weirdly. I have so many questions in the laundry room. Okay, and that kind of makes sense. It's probably more like a mud room, like a utility closet or something. But they kept it in there, and whenever one of them had a really big poop that they thought would clog up mm-hmm. the toilet, they would go and get the knife or call to to have somebody bring it to them. The knife was their number one for their number two. <laughs> And so this person grew up thinking you, this was a part of bathroom life. Uh-huh. You have a plunger, you have a toilet bowl cleaner, and you a have a poop knife. knife. Question. Yeah. Was it serrated? Oh my God. I don't know. There was right? no picture. Thank God. Is it plastic? Is it metal? I think it was metal. Is it a butter knife situation? How hard are I these I pictured poops? it like a Swiss Army knife style. Oh, you did. Like it like what do you picture? collapses. <laughs> I picture more of like a lettuce knife, you know, that are kind of plasticky and softer, like a Tupperware style knife. Because you wouldn't want to damage the porcelain. Oh, and that's also a really you would good imagine point. that if there are different a spread of ages throughout the house, you would want something that the younger people in the house wouldn't it would really find good too dangerous. Point. And the person says I like it- that we're saying that there's a good point <laughs> to the poo knife. The reason that that was kept in the laundry room, according to this person, is that they had three bathrooms, but they only had one poop knife. (laughs) So they had to put it, like, centrally located. Like, like there's a shortage of things that... You could have had more. Then other people wrote in and were like, my family used um, disposable chopsticks. 
What? They Before were- cutting poo? Yeah. Why is this a thing? What is wrong with all of your shit? And somebody else said, my grandparents have one and they call it their machete. Stop. Stop it. I'm going to stop. That's the best. I don't know if I love or hate this story. So. I mean, it's a good one. Right? I mean, how big are these poops though? It just won't flush. But has that ever happened to you? I know everyone's no. like been I mean, in a I've situation. I've had some impressive one where I'm like, but the other thing also <laughs> is Landon said this when, when we, sometimes I'm like, oh, that was good. Um, when Landon and I first moved in together, I had never lived, I had lived with one guy before, but he had his own bathroom. I had never shared a bathroom with a male. And there were times where I was like, whoa. <laughs> that maybe he, there was like an accidental no flush situation and i just like saw oh i see and i saying. was like there is a definite size difference so and then we had a whole conversation about this because i said what do you do, what goes on in there that creates that smell i always say you need to see a physician yeah i say that to later so i'm like check yourself check something needs to be checked and then he said well okay well i'm like almost twice your size. So don't you think I, if I consume twice as much food, don't you think my body's going to get rid of twice as much? It's going to be twice as big, whatever no, I'm getting rid of. No. It's a little dog versus a big dog, Suze. It's a Chihuahua and a Great Dane. I understand. So maybe this poo knife situation, we just got a bunch of Great Danes. I understand the logic of you eat more, you poop more. Right. But I would think that it would just result in more frequent poops. And maybe these are like meat and potatoes kind of people. Ew. <laughs> And it's a little more solid. I mean... I mean, I get my daily dose of greens, so it's like... Loosey-goosey down there. It's not... I mean, I I get fiber too, Sus. I have no doubts. But here's what I wanted to know and was not answered in the article. Uh Uh-huh. Because let's say... I was going to cut up my poop with a knife. Guys, she's doing a hand gesture for it. I just want you to all know that Susie's slicing Susie's and slicing dicing. it like it's a banana. Like it's a, well, it would be It soft. was like a banana it was, in yeah, my mind. So in, it, well, that's exactly, I feel like the texture. Consistent. But it seems like your hand would go in the water. Like, oh. I mean, the poop knife would have you know to be what? really that's long. That's also what I was thinking. Cause in my, that's why I asked you if it was serrated or not, because my first <laughs> instinct was like a bread knife. So, yeah, it needs it's to long. have some length there <laughs> or else your hand is insane. submerged and that's a whole separate issue. No. <gasps> I dropped my phone in the toilet for the first time the other day. And then what? And then I Why am I looking at it? You oh, didn't. I did. But you know what? I dropped the Mophie in there too and thank God it survived. But then I was like, toilet water, ew. How did you not, how did your phone not die after being because in? Because the new wa- iPhones are waterproof oh or my water God. resistant. So thank God. Oh my God. But you want to hear a funny story? Pretty much. So I have two, I won't, I won't say who they are. I'll protect, use not their names to protect the innocent. Okay. Um, but two friends of mine were hanging out at a party and they were, we were like drinking and having a good time and they went to the bathroom together as girls often do. And one friend's phone fell in the water and the other friend saw and panicked and goes, Oh no, your phone, it's in the water. And she reaches into the toilet and she grabs it. And in a good friend moment, she's like, I got to suck the water out of it so it doesn't die. And she goes, <clears throat> and the, the other friend goes, no, you don't. It's a, it's a new iPhone. <laughs> she didn't have the chance to tell her that it's a waterproof phone before the other friend started sucking the water out of her phone to make sure it didn't die. Sarah. I swear, hand to God, true story. It's probably my favorite story of all time. And the best was that they came out of the bathroom and told this story. The one friend whose phone got dropped in the toilet who wasn't the... the sucker of the water out of the phone told this story to the group and i think i was the only one sober enough to hear the i was like oh my god this is the best don't don't finish telling tell this tomorrow at breakfast because people don't understand how amazing the story is right now i wanted her to like retell it the next day and it has not yet been retold with everybody at the party sober so i can't I'm wait so for our upset. next gathering like why <laughs> i w- i don't like anybody <laughs> Enough to suck toilet water. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay. It's toilet water. It's it's. There's no Sarah. It's a I would public never. toilet. No, no, it wasn't public. It was at my house. But oh, okay. it's still it grows. I know. I'd, 
I would just be like, there goes. It was pre P. It was pre everything. It doesn't matter. I know. I know. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to you suck know. it out. There was a lot of booze going that night. I guess that's what happens when. And then I wonder how many other people have been in the same situation. Zero. The answer is zero. That is outrageous. <laughs> she was like, you should thank me because I'm that good of a friend. I would take a bullet before and I And this that. is the best part of the story. My favorite part is that the reason why the friend who dropped it into the toilet had a new iPhone was because she was going to the bathroom with another friend. It fell into the water before and that friend didn't suck the pee water out of it and the phone actually did die. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't like that one. I like the poop knife one better. That's going to give me nightmares. Oh, gosh. That cracks wow. me up. It's one of my favorite stories of all time. I mean, maybe we're missing like a golden opportunity, though, like where you could sell a poop knife and market it. Yeah, like kind of like the squatty potty. Or uh, you know what would be the best poopery. part of that is that, oh, poopery is the shit, man. <laughs> it's like I can't. I don't even mean to. The best part of the potty knife what are we calling poop it knife. poop knife the machete because that's the best name for it is that the black and white segment of our infomercial where it's that person who's struggling to flush the turd down the toilet and it's like do your flirt are your turds too big can they not flush <laughs> right. do you struggle to get your waste down the toilet on a daily basis we've got the thing for you and then it goes Ding! And then it turns into not black and white anymore, and it's color, and it's like everybody's happy because they're like cutting their poos, and it's flushing oh like no problem. God. I can see it now. Yeah, we just produced the infomercial. Uh-huh. Call now. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Call now, and we'll get you a second poo knife. Just pay shipping and handling. I mean, I bet it feels great to poop that big, but I don't want to. And for a limited time only, we'll give you a little hanging Christmas tree looking air freshener thing. Uh, I'm going to move on. All right. <laughs> you're funny what sometimes i wonder like what i wrote this about well i got one for you how you know how there was that uh alert that happened in hawaii about the yeah uh there's gonna be a missile and like look out so one interesting thing that came from that <laughs> is that Wait, porn I don't get hubs, it. you will oh. <laughs> porn hubs <laughs> uh user uh, things that happened to their users in Hawaii, they saw unprecedented changes in numbers. What do you mean? So as soon as the tw- the text went out, all of a sudden the views in Hawaii like shut down. Oh, yeah. So it's nice to know that in people's last few hours, they don't want to go jerk off. I should hope not, I, I, Sarah. Well, as soon as I, it just said, the article said, Pornhub, you know, it's like something like unexpected numbers when, and I was like, oh no, please don't tell me that in their, you know, darkest times, everybody's rushing to the computer to jerk off. Because I thought it was going to be a peak. I didn't know what the article was going to tell me, but they said that everything dropped off and they saw. I really think that this should be filed under duh. D- well, I did too, but they, that, I mean, I guess that's kind of like, you know, clickbait. I mean, it if it. Had been any other way. Right. It would have been. What would you have done when you got the text? Oh, <gasps> that's a really good question, Suze. I would have, oh my God, cried. Then I would have called people. And then I don't know. I guess you just like roll a fatty and just sit on your porch and smoke a blunt. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, what you should probably even do that at that moment. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably do vodka and then. Oh, okay, that's like, probably better. Uh, <laughs> do take vodka. a Xanax, that's great. like a shot of vodka, and yeah. then you know, take a Xanax or something. Yeah. Because what are you gonna do, right? That was ridiculous. Yeah. Oopsie. I feel like there should have been a little more. I feel like there's more to the story. Yeah. There's. Oh. <gasps> I do. Sue's. You're probably right. I didn't even think about that. There's a little bit of a chain of command. Okay. Somebody and maybe was like, something was going to happen and then it was just last minute it didn't. Because yeah, you know how you have to push like, are you sure? Like 10 times yeah. before you even delete a, like, a Facebook post. Right. So <laughs> I imagine it's not as simple as oh a pocket dial situation. Dang. I think there's more to that story. <gasps> we'll never know, will we? Ooh. Um. Okay. One thing I do know for sure yeah. that 
everybody should try is this really cool system. So like when you're buying insurance, you know, and you're a healthy gal and then you get a rate. Well, you could get an even better rate if you work with Health IQ. It's this company that uses like the apps that you use on your phone, like health apps. Stuff you're already using. Yeah. If you're tracking your... um, your action, your exercise. I do my fitness pal. Yeah, yeah, I use that. If you, you know, are a person that uses a Fitbit, or if you're a member of a biking club and you mm-hmm. track your mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. often you go for a ride, this Health IQ will take those de- the data from those apps that we all have on our phone, and then they will take them to the insurers, and then they can get you discounts on health insurance that you normally would I love this and life insurance this is amazing say yeah and so it's like well we love science and data yep but using it for another thing we love a bargain okay that's like combining two of our favorite things yeah and I think there's a lot of people who are active and you know they might be on a softball team and whatever and it just doesn't come up whenever you're looking for life insurance and so it allows health conscious people like runners, cyclists, strength trainers, vegans, they could get a, a deal as well. And you can save Oh my 50- gosh, the vegans are never gonna shut up about that deal they get. <laughs> they could save between four and thirty three percent on their life insurance. So over a long Whoa, time that really adds up. So we wanna encourage you guys to try it. Go to healthiq.com slash brain candy and you can go on there and sort of fill out some information and use uh, promo code brain candy. Uh, when you want to talk to a health IQ agent as well, if you call them. And uh, you can get the scoop, fill out your info, and then find out what you could potentially save. I think that's such a cool idea. It's genius. Health I think IQ. we need more things like that. Right? Yes. I, I leave it to the smart people. Healthiq.com slash brain candy. You can go on there and um, get a free quote, see if you qualify. Um, and that's pretty cool. Uh, okay. Shall we move on? Yeah. You know what? Speaking of people trying things. Yeah. You know what I got? I, I just cannot wrap my head around, around and I don't know how it became a thing. Well, now I do know how because I researched it. Have you heard about this whole Tide Pod challenge thing? Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Tell me what you think. Okay. Well, first of all, I didn't really... I I learned about it through memes and I learned about it through... Jokes. Jokes. Yeah. And then I learned that it really was a thing that... Do you know where it began? Well, that's what I found out. Okay. So it all started with an article that was in The Onion that was written from the position of a child who was going after the Tide Pods because there was this whole commercial that came out that... Because apparently kids were dying from this, but not a lot. Right. They make it sound like a lot of kids are dying. A few kids thought they were candy. Well, it was something like... Three kids and six adults with dementia. Yeah, I saw that. And But 38,000 people have reported some sort of poisoning from it, which is kind of a lot. Um, so The Onion wrote this article as like, a, you know, I'm just a kid who wants a, you know, my parents are trying to keep these things away from me and all I want is this Tide Pod and blah, blah, blah. And so I guess it turned into a thing and people took it from there and ran with it. And then there really are people who are dumb enough to do this bullshit. It's it's very it's troubling, and they're doing they're putting them on YouTube, yeah. like the videos of them doing. And it. then you find out, you know, in this article, it talked about one of the dangers, like what are the dangers that are involved in uh, eating that, and what happens, and how the chemicals that are in Tide Pods are designed to encapsulate fat and um, water molecules to clean things. So you have fat and water molecules inside your mouth and inside your body, obviously. So if you inject or ingest anything like that, it encapsulate those and basically sucks your body of all those fat and water nutrients and can cause a bunch of terrible, horrible stuff. But like, why would anybody, what the, what the hell is wrong with people? Yeah. It's the Darwin awards, right? You know? Yes. Like, Like maybe you just, Oh God, get out of here. And I mean, what age range are we talking? Like teenagers or what? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's got to be teenagers who are, you know. Makes me crazy. Me too. It makes me bonkers. I don't know what the heck that's all about. And then I saw, I watched Saturday Night Live and they made three or four jokes about it. And there's the part of me that's, you know, like the future parent who's, uh, you know, uh, Sarah Safety over here who's like, I really think that the uh, glorification of the Tide Pod Challenge on Saturday Night Live is only going to make more kids want to try it. And this is ridiculous. And, you know, 
Well, what are the jokes though? They're talking about how remember. stupid people are. Yeah. No, no, it wasn't even like that. It was just something like a. Oh well, we better do the Tide Pod. Ch- it w- it was almost written making as making light of it. Yeah, 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 and and it wasn't the 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 punchline. It was just a little side, right? You know, little nugget yeah. in in you know. I don't know what the heck the context of the joke was, but I didn't. Either way, I then didn't I like wonder, it. Then I wonder, is this as common as is making out to be? Or is no. it just another thing where it's like oh. 10 people did something stupid? Yeah, it's kind of like when I'm like, everybody's asking about this. And it was really like two people. I don't Yeah. <laughs> right. You want to know where my shirt's from? Right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I'll tell you. Let's see. What else is weird? I, I um, read about a pub uh-huh. that banned cursing oh right a bar and linda would love that bar <laughs> i was gonna talk about linda linda's like she oh probably, my god that's my favorite but she's like oh my gosh that's my favorite she's bar. probably the owner yeah <laughs> it's called linda's pub i thought it was interesting though because it's like the article was talking about how the it's in england and the pub is owned by I don't know, aristocrats or something. And the, they don't have a TV in there. It's very yeah. traditional. Yeah. And no the, TV, no cursing, no fun. <laughs> no alcohol. Wow. So you're against it. Oh, yeah. Tell me what you think. Because I kind of like it. Oh, you do. Well, okay. 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 Tell me what you like about it. I like the effort on the part of the owner to maintain civility. Uh-huh. And that, I mean, it's probably futile, but... I like the idea that they have this desire. It's the Finer Things Club. Yeah. I like, okay. Just a I space, one little space yes, in yes. the world where you can avoid what I believe they're really after is loud mouths. Yes. Because you could still swear quietly and no one would ever know. Right. It's that football guy. Yeah. You know? And the drunk yes. idiot who's spouting off and being inappropriate. And as somebody who's frequented those bars in England, those exist. Exactly. Okay. So I sort of was like, yeah, that sounds nice. You've changed my mind on it in a matter <laughs> of 30 seconds. But what, what was your initial feeling? Uh, just that it would Lighten edit... Up, as you think. It would edit the, the... That it would edit the behavior in the whole place, not just the language. So by editing, by forcing people to edit their language or being, you know, what mind their P's and Q's, I think you also make people mind their P's and Q's in other areas yeah. that you'll also invite a crowd that likes to, I don't know, be a little more proper. And you're just like you said, it might be fun to, to have that, you know, it's kind of like going to, I think of it as like going back in time, like going to a speakeasy or something like that, where you're like, oh, now I'm going to act in the way of that, yeah. in the manner of that establishment, yeah, you know, but... I, in real life, I really hate rules, and uh-huh. I get mad when people try to make a big deal Arbitrary about rules. nothing. Yeah. yeah, like mall cop. Okay, I hate that too. I hate it. And, and like, what is that? Your golf? Remember your mini golf situation with the credit card? How they needed an ID? Like not the first two times, but then the last time they did, and she's like, I, "Okay, I lost." Now it. it has to be an issue. Now this is a thing. But I don't know. In this case, it felt appealing to me, and it felt like. Because everything is so casual now. Even as I study religion, I see the ways that people go to church now in shorts and flip-flops. And yeah. Oh, there, airplane think, is like that too. Flying, yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a part of me that sort of misses this idea that you can make an event out of something. Mm-hmm. Whether in the, the, blur, the lines between something being sacred and profane have been blurred to the point where nothing is sacred and nothing is profane. Everything is just what it is. And so, I don't know, there's a part of me that sort of thinks it's cool. I'm sure they won't be able to maintain it and it's just a phase, whatever, but it's just an idea. I I like it and I think maybe they will be. Maybe it's something that if it catches enough, you know, and I feel like people in England will be into that. Do you? Yeah. Oh, the right kind are going to be... Right. Yeah, it's like extra posh. There's two different groups over there. Yeah, totally. And I think they're doing it to like keep out that other group. One thing you can swear about, if you so choose, is how friggin' awesome single swag boxes are. We love them over here. We get so excited when they come in the mail because they are filled with jewelry and accessories and books and food and all kinds of things that 
you really love and you can treat yourself. If it's called single swag because it's for singles, and you know it's right before Valentine's Day, so if you're single, this is a great way for you to treat yourself. But if you aren't single, who cares? You still deserve fun stuff. And Lord knows your partner's probably going to get you garbage. So try this instead. They're offering our listeners 20% off their first order by going to singleswag.com and entering code BRAINCANDY. It's the best deal that they offer. So use that if you're going to sign up and you'll get tons of stuff delivered to your door. It'll make you so happy and you'll feel very pampered. I read... um an article that's kind of depressing. Oh, okay. This Bring might ruin the whole thing where I make you happy. Oh, well you, well, you already did a really good job of that. You had me with poo knife, so everything <laughs> else is. This was about um, doctors who commit suicide mm-hmm. and a person wanted to figure out what was mm-hmm. causing it. And I thought it was really interesting and in a way not surprising if I had to deal with yeah. the pressure and yeah. the deaths of patients and things like that. Of course. And access to um, medication and medicine. True. So it's a lot. You see a big rate of addiction also with because of access. Right. But the Washington Post, this was in the Washington Post, and it was talking about how suicide rates among doctors have been high Mm -hmm. since 1858. So this isn't a new development either. And I think seeing those sides of life and people who, you know, how death is inevitable... Well, yeah. And I think some people look at their situation and say, it's when the psychological pain becomes, of living becomes more painful than the idea of death Mm -hmm. and then the the escape of death, Mm -hmm. that it becomes easier easier to have that um, mixed up thinking that makes you think that there's only one option. And I think for somebody who's very pragmatic and a doctor personality who kind of out uh, their natural instinct is to look in and and say you know what's best for this situation how can i do the the least amount of harm and what's the least amount of harm for me and what's the least amount of psychological harm for me and maybe if they see no other option like you know right and it's talked about how even the ones that seemed happy you know that had just booked a vacation for their Mm -hmm. family that they were equally at risk um, because Mm. a lot of times the death of a patient, even if it was not an error that they did, um, was often the key factor where they felt like the what ifs, I think. And also their hero, like if they see themselves as, if their identity is wrapped up in being a hero or rescuer, you also see it with firefighters. Mm -hmm. Well, and it said that the doctors often ended their lives at the hospital, which was seemed important, uh-huh. you know, like it was a place they were invested in yeah. and that's where they were going to wow. be done with it as well. Interesting. More men than women. Mm-hmm. Is that across the board? Mm-hmm. Huh. It's that's usually, shocking actually. Yeah. It's usually more men than women and the, the risky ages are, well, it's if teenagers and especially ones who have, uh, anybody in their friend circle or in their school has also if there's been another suicide and also men who are um divorced and over the age of 65 so older divorced males is really a big one Hmm. yeah one men who lose their wives or also ones who are in financial difficulties right men in financial difficulties spouses and older Huh. Well, I mean, it it made me think just about, I often talk about that Chris Rock interview where he talks about, he's actually talking about being a comedian mm-hmm. and how it's a comedian's job to be totally aware mm-hmm. of the world and how the phrase ignorance is bliss. And if you're the opposite of ignorant, if you're yeah. totally aware, yeah. then what does that mean? Yeah. I think that's true. Like for a lot of folks that are really bright, you know, and so they have this maybe too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day who, and also, you know, in talking about suicide, I want to make sure I put it out there that dark thoughts like that are totally normal and are totally something that people that go through people's head all the time, you know? And I like to use the, like your brain's job 
is to give you all the information. Your brain's job is to go, oh, well, you could do this or you could do this or you could do this. You know, it's kind of like if I say, Susie, spell the word too. Your brain's job is to say, okay, well, I can go T-O-O, T-W-O or T-O. Mm-hmm. And then your conscious mind selects which one you want to say or says, I'm going to need more information to say, you know, which two is it? Mm-hmm. So your brain, you might have that thought, oh God, what if I just end it all? Or, oh God, what if I, whatever. But your brain also gives you the thought, I'm just going to push through. It's your conscious mind that says, and we have the power to say, I'm going to select this thought to ruminate on, or I'm going to select this thought to give my attention to. Mm -hmm. So those thoughts come in there. And, you know, I think when you're a comedian and when you're somebody who um, sees everything and has this awareness and is hyper aware, those options are limitless. Mm-hmm. There, you see more options. It's like, oh, well, I could do this. I could do this. I could do, make this joke. I could, you know, you see more of the connections. You see more of those relationships and you see more of those options and you see the good and the bad and the, you know, all sides of things rather than just your own experience. And that's what makes people funny, but also can make things really sad and really dark. And- I know that's what actually, when I was with your mom over the holidays, we were talking about you know, just mental health and yeah. whatever. And she was like, well, that's where the comedy comes in. Yep. You know, whenever you're at that, yeah. that's why they say it's the best medicine. It sure is. It Cliches is. are true. It's totally true. It's very important. Um. All right. Well, I have a guest today Ooh. that I'm super in love with. And she is a brilliant scholar of religion who, uh, like me, studied studies the prosperity gospel. Oh, cool. And she... My God, I'm so glad she's not your best friend and I am. (laughs) (laughs) She literally wrote the book on prosperity gospel. She wrote this book called Blessed, the History of Prosperity Gospel. And um, so if you don't know what that is, it's the uh, religion that believes that if you're faithful, that you will receive health and wealth in this lifetime. You don't even have to wait till you go to heaven. You can Mm -hmm. have it right now. And um, it's a very popular movement. So here's where it gets interesting. What? She was uh, diagnosed with stage four cancer after, you know, writing that book. Mm -hmm. And how interesting Uh that the woman that's learned about and become an expert on the belief that faithfulness reaps you health, then gets diagnosed with, yeah, stage four cancer. So... She was basically given a death sentence, and I'm so glad that she is still here and um, healthier and, you know, taking it day by day, of course. Yes. But she wrote a wonderful book um, called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Oh, that's great. And I love that title because I've bet you anybody that's been through a tragedy, whether it's an illness, a death in the family, whatever it may be, or even just losing your job or stuff like that, everybody's got the uh, cliche ready. Everybody's got the trite thing that means nothing. It's like an empty Mm -hmm. vomit. Something to make them feel better (laughs) that like, okay, I've said something. Yeah. Uh And she wrote this book and it's a memoir, but it's also unpacking this thing where what it's like to be in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think so many people are experiencing tragedy right now and maybe you're sick or maybe their mom is dying or whatever it is. And if you aren't experiencing now, at some point you will. So it's not like anybody's immune to tragedy. Right. And, and that's kind of what she talks about is that you and me right now, we're yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, we have jobs, our yeah. our families are healthy and we're walking around mm-hmm. just sort of living our life. But then when you're struck with something, then in that instant, your life stops yeah. and everyone else carries on. Yes. And how she experienced this sort of rage when she would see someone just like living their right. life. Because she was like, hey, uh-huh. how come you get to keep doing your totally. life and I'm stuck here getting chemo, whatever. And I think... So scholars are weird, right? In Real, the best way. It's a really nerdy group of people who often are terrible socially <laughs> and can't even look you in the eye half the time. Uh-huh. Depends on the field, but right, right. I mean, yeah. there's some real yeah. 
crackpot. Takes a certain type to <laughs> donate their entire life to one subject, and yeah. they're gonna learn everything about it. And Kate is the opposite of that. She is clever and witty and self-deprecating. My God, and total brainiac style hilarity nonstop. And so I know people are going to love her and I really want her people to read her book. Yes. So I want to encourage you to do that. And you'll listen to this interview and you'll be like, okay, she's adorable and we love her forever. So enjoy this interview, but more importantly, buy Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved by Kate Bowler because I guarantee you, you'll learn something Mm -hmm. and she is so brilliant. You'll love it. Okay. It's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the show, Kate. Promise me. We'll pretend like we haven't been talking for 10 minutes. <laughs> never, never. So congratulations on your book. I, first of all, want to know how it feels to be fancy. <laughs> oh no. Uh no more fanciness. Yeah, ever since I got sick, I uh I think I think once the lang oh well, I mean I'm I mean I'm pretty fancy. I'm number one in colorectal releases. <laughs> so that know, is fancy. That's who you're talking to. Uh yeah, I think like pride goes pretty fast. Um but I'm just grateful. Like I'm grateful to get to do work that I care about. And I'm for just, for some reason, this weird thing I picked and you picked as a scholarly interest, the prosperity gospel, it turns out it's like the secret key that explains almost everything. Like it explains, it explains everything. (laughs) Right. Like in good and bad ways, it's, it's helpful, but yeah. So you, let's back up. Cause you, I met you at a academic, boring academic conference where you were like this bright light, (laughs) Um, of information and hilarity. And, you know, we study the same thing, but you literally wrote the book on it. (laughs) You wrote this fantastic book, Blessed. And it, I feel like it is really something special. When you wrote that book, did you feel like, whoa, I'm doing something really amazing here? Or did you just feel like this, the academic treasury? (laughs) No, I felt mostly like I was ruining my family's vacation. (laughs) I realized, so I had a sense that there was this gospel out there where people believe that God wants to give them divine health and wealth. And I, then I knew that there was a local church, mostly full of Mennonites, where the church had given the pastor a motorcycle that he got to ride around on stage. So that was <laughs> as far as I knew, and that they had dubbed it Pastor's Appreciation Day. And I had a sort of lingering sense that this was if this was here among Mennonites, this, this was probably everywhere. So, so you didn't grow up in the tradition? No, no. I grew up with like sweet farmer types who complain about the quality of cheese and grain prices. <laughs> no, like there is not a lot of, not a lot of prosperity. I think honestly, we thought um, when my friends and I were kind of talking through like, what is this gospel? I think we mostly just thought it was for Americans. Like people who truly want to explain and justify the inequality of wealth and lack of social services in their country. And like that, as it turns out, is definitely part of it. Yeah. But <laughs> but I didn't realize how very middle class and very average and suburban it was. So mm. the more I traveled, like basically wherever I went to school, I started visiting those churches. So I found a prosperity mega church made of Lutherans in Minneapolis. And I found um, African-American suburban prosperity megachurches in Connecticut and just wherever I went. And then I realized it wasn't just megachurches. It was theme parks. And it was, I mean, that it was, it had this kind of, it was 24-hour television, that it had this carnival-like atmosphere that <laughs> promised 
every person that God wanted to bring about their deepest desires. And so that kind of just became the obsession and then basically 10 years worth of academic study and travel. Did you, at what point, if at all, I believe though it did happen, that parts of it became seductive in a way to you or maybe on a subconscious level. Is that true or false? Yeah. Well, I think because like we hide our crazy as academics, you know, so the academic book is like an academic book and it's quite, I tried to keep myself out of it. But I mean, the more I traveled with these people, the more I thought like, aren't these desires so very ordinary? Mm-hmm. Like, don't we all just want our you know, are to, to someday raise teenagers that respect us and to, um, be able to stave off old age and the diseases that always cut down one of our friends. And like, don't we all just want to guarantee that something's going to work out? And so partly that was the way I ended up writing the book is trying to understand the ordinary desires of ordinary people. But then after, after I got sick, I had was two years ago, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer, like totally out of the blue, like no cancer in my family, just like, it was like a meteor hit for me. And then I realized, oh no, maybe I thought all along that I was guaranteed these things too. So I, I kind of wrote the book, um, this kind of like, I thought of it like a research memoir, hmm. like my life kind of inside the prosperity gospel as an observer um, and is just like an everyday person who maybe had bigger hopes for her life than she thought. Wow. And so what is it like, number one, writing about yourself, given that that's not what we're to do normally? as no. Well, I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't really write it like anyone would read it. So it is, um, wonderful and very surprising somehow to me that uh, anyone will know what happened in my brain. But I I wrote it almost like, um, I don't know, sometimes I just wrote it like poison or like shrapnel. I was like trying to push it out of my body. Like just, I was trying to figure out like, what is it in me that is so shocked that I might die? Like, what did I think I was going to get out of this human experiment? And so I tended to write it outside, like, I don't know, something about the open air and just trying to like figure out the hardest, truest thing. And then I wrote it down. And then apparently I just shared it with a lot of people. <laughs> so it's, it, it was like, it's a very private experience, which is going to be very public. Well, listen, I mean, my co-host and I both are no strangers to oversharing and um, <laughs> being exposed, but yeah. in a way you're you're, what you're doing is so useful. And when you were writing the book, do you feel, did you feel like it was more of a cleansing for yourself or did you feel like it was going to be helpful to people? What was your intention? Well, I think maybe it was, well, so I mean, the most honest answer is like the urgency of death makes you do weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it just makes you think like, Oh my gosh, I have got to get this thing going. Like, wow. what can I do? So I just started writing and I didn't really think much about the end, wow. but I guess the other bit too, that was, I mean, it surprised me was, I mean, it, I mean, not everybody gets cancer. It's, but cancer felt like it opened up this secret to the world. Like, cause it made me feel so connected to the pain of other people. Wow. Like, Oh my gosh, we're all doing this. Like we are all just trying to like cobble things together. And so that sense of connectedness really made me feel like the more I explored my own situation, the more it would help me understand like the basic humanity of other people. So yeah. Yeah. You, that was you wrote something on Twitter, I think it was last week, um, where you were saying, I think you were referring to somebody else's article, but you were talking about how when you were sick and you would go out and you saw somebody that was just sort of going about their life. Yeah. What, what did you say? <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like, <laughs> look at you fancy man in your fancy suit going to work. I honestly, I was like affronted, like how, cause you forget like somebody's, somebody's world ends every day. You know, like you're out in the world and, you know, the, the ordinary days just like float by, but like when your world comes to an end, it is so surprising to you that anyone else can live without that sense of fragility. 
So, I mean, sometimes it gets processed as like outrage at people wearing fancy clothes. And like I wore yoga pants for like two straight years. Well, uh, so yeah. tell me about when you were diagnosed, what did they say? What, what, did, what do they tell people when you're in that position? Um, well, they give you uh, the intern. Um, they, they never like, you always imagine when you get bad news that it will be accompanied by like gravitas or like, you know, dignity of some kind. Yeah. And it's like four in the morning and they send the newest person on the rotation and, uh, this just really nervous little guy. And, Mm -hmm. uh, he sat down, he was like, well, I'm giving, the odds are you have a 30 to 50% chance of survival, which meant two years. And I was like. I just remember looking at him thinking, I can't believe it's you. <laughs> like you're telling, I can't believe it's you. Like of all the people in the world <laughs> who give me the most important news of my life, it's just you, Dewey Boyd. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that was, uh, you, you know, that was the beginning of feeling like really disposable. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. I mean, you just you start to feel like when your odds are bad, like you're all of a sudden becoming transparent and everyone else is durable. It's the weirdest feeling. But and when you yeah. talk to other people that have gone through something similar, did they have a similar experience oh, yeah. or is it just all different? Yeah, there was this, I remember talking to this one other person who had a similar diagnosis and she's like, I'm picking up my kids after school, right? Like I'm getting... I'm making dinner later, right? Like, I'm still real, aren't I? No. Like, I, because people get this terrible look. I have come to start calling them Cocker Spaniel Face. Oh and Cocker Spaniel Face is like this look of like totally devastating pity. And they like, they look at you and then all of a sudden it's like they kind of see through you. Yeah. And their head melts a little and they're just like, oh, you. What does it and mean? Like, Why does it, what is that? I think it's, Well, I think compassion quickly translates into pity, which quickly translates into this like sad hopelessness for you. Yes. And I mean, they're trying to build a bridge and it actually just makes you feel like you're on a planet far, far away. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. So, okay. Let's talk about the title. Yeah. Uh, Why'd you choose it? (laughs) Uh, So... One of the most common experiences I started having was that people felt like they needed to explain. Like, oh, my oh God. do you have cancer? Oh, no. Like, this must be in your family. Oh, no, it's not my family. Oh, what have you been eating? No! <laughs> Normally. Uh, like, it goes right to, like, my lefty, lovely... I always went to, like, super, super, like, granola schools. And so everyone just went hardcore nutritional supplements and, like, yep. kale. You know, I, I'm hoping the kale phase is passing, but there'll be another superfood sprouting <laughs> maybe. Like, oh, people were just, like, just pivoted hardcore to, like, this must be what you're eating. And, and like, built into that, like, poison – yeah. which I think these explanations are poison yeah. is the kind of like rabid individualism where it's like, it's your fault. But yeah. the good news is that you might be also the cure. Right. And so, cause it's like, it's like, it's weird, but it's like a burden of course on the person who's suffering. But I think they're hoping that it has like a little solution in there for you. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh, you can surely like the number of people who sent me prevention magazine after I have stage four cancer. No. Are long past prevention. <laughs> you have got to be kidding me. No, people are like, it is this like insane cruelty and they really feel like they're being kind. So like I wrote this 
article and I was dumb. I was so dumb, but I was just trying to like, I was just trying to like explain the sad feelings in my sad little heart. And I like wrote it up and it was this uh, New York Times article and I got like, I'd say about 5,000 pieces of mail. Okay. And like some of it were just like to my office, messages on my office phone and everybody had advice. So I've gotten at this point thousands of bits of advice. And I, and that's what taught me that like people in pain, people start seeing them like they're a problem to be solved. And I actually think that's way more common than just cancer. Like when, you know, when a friend has a miscarriage and then everyone rushes in with like, God needed an angel. God, yeah. Like people just like, they go for it and they, they need a reason. And so so yeah, that's why I call it everything happens for a reason and other lives I've loved. Cause I think there is like a delicious <laughs> horror to how much we just love these explanations. Right. And how did you, or do you react when you hear the, these people knowing that mostly they probably have good intentions when they say it? Yeah. I, I mostly get really, well, <laughs> two reactions. One is I go into like aggressive small talk mode because I'm just trying to like steer them away like desperately from saying it. Like they're like, how are you? I'm like, great, super great. How's your second child? Is she still talking? <laughs> so I get weirdly intense uh, and tire myself out. And the other is I get really sad. Like mm. when did I become, stop being a person and yeah. start being a something people have to explain like why I mean I get it like I get it I'm 12 and I have cancer but like yeah like I I miss I like I really just miss feeling like a normal person that people talk to using a normal voice (laughs) I I miss it so much so the weird thing it seems to me is that people are so afraid to say the wrong thing that yeah, they dive yeah. into the like um cliches or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which seems yeah. like the wrong thing. It is. They just it it's a they dive hard for the explanation. <laughs> it's just like that they fall off a cliff. Okay. Yeah. I I do think it's love or but my sister, my little sister said something great when I was I was like especially sad about this stuff and mm-hmm. she said, Kate, people say this because they love you and they lack imagination. Well that is so, true. That's a great, like, it is born of love. But then I think it's just, like, I think this is the American civil religion that's just floating around. Like, everything has to be a boomerang that comes back to you. And it's just unimaginable that, like, shit happens. Like, yeah, it just, it seems unimaginable. So you're two years out from the news. And where does that leave you in your relationship with your prosperity gospel work yeah. slash faith, non-faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I have like just as much compassion for the movement as I did before because I know how much I really wanted to believe all those things were true. I mean, it's, it's a theodicy, right? It's an explanation for the problem of evil. And I think we're all looking for an explanation. Like we look around and we think, oh my gosh, this mess needs an explanation. But I do think, um, that it's, that it's an exhausting burden that this American individualism puts on people. Like, you know why most people are suffering? Because this country lacks social services. (laughs) I can't that be true. Like, how about institutions need to solve other problems or how about greater care instead of constant messages of self-help? Like, you know, I think like the solution is always in compassion and love and community. And just for those of us who are super duper Jesus-y, like, and then just hoping that God's presence shows up and surprises us, you know, like that to me, can be enough to put this whole thing together. Um, yeah. Maybe you could start a church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you well, work on that? It'd be the church of please be nice. Oh my gosh, please <laughs> be nice. Stop yeah. being a-holes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is my dream. 
But you're so civilized and kind to about it. I'm like all worked up, especially since Trump. Uh, yeah. And so how do you manage that, especially given that people are probably throwing all kinds of crap at you? Yeah. Uh, be, you know, about the diagnosis, et cetera. Oh, yeah. And I'm just about to enter into a second wave of crazy, you know, with this <laughs> being published. Oh, man. But I will tell you that, like, okay, one of the funniest things about almost dying, and I don't recommend it, but it is funny, is that people will really start telling you their secrets. Like, no! I think they think you're going to die with it. So they tell you stuff. This is the and best. And so, like... The number of prosperity people who are like, actually, I have this horrible illness, but I haven't told anyone, makes me think that, like, underneath, there's just this whole subplot that, like, that's what I, I'm able to hold on to a lot of the compassion because I think, like, we all have a subplot. And the subplot is, holy shit, this human experiment (laughs) is very hard to prop up. (laughs) My God. Best wishes. I cannot believe they share their dirty little secrets or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yes. I'm super jealous about that part. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and I think, like, the longer I keep living, the more I'll just make people incredibly nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what's the deal? What are they telling you now? Are you out of the woods? No, and I don't think anyone who's ever had cancer will probably ever say, like, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, because what it does is it it takes away that beautiful delusion of certainty, Mm -hmm. you know, because now you could no longer not imagine, like not imagining the moment where the world ends. Yeah. You know too much now. Yeah. You know too much. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in like the managing illness phase, which is great uh, compared to the critical crisis apocalypse time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's just a lot of, you know, scans and occasional things, and I know all my nurses, and I still feel like I'm one of the hospital people, you know, in the world. <laughs> there, are the, there are the non-hospital people. There are the hospital people. Do the hospital people hate the non-hospital people? Sometimes, yeah. They're the worst. I mean, they also <laughs> think their bodies are decorative, which is super funny. I mean, isn't that just hilarious? Yeah. So... I mean, yeah, non-hospital people, they have their, they have their gifts, but, um, what I don't, I don't get about you is you're, you were going through all this and then you were like still more productive than the healthy people. (laughs) And it really makes us mad. (laughs) Okay. Well, if you, there's a couple things on that. (laughs) One is, um, uh, being sick is incredibly boring. Oh. And, like, cancer threatens to take up your whole life. Yeah. And, like, the day before I knew I had cancer, my interest in cancer was zero. Yeah. And the day after I got cancer, my interest in cancer was still zero. (laughs) What? I'm not interested in researching it. I don't want to become an expert in my illness. I don't feel like talking about it all day. Like, (laughs) you know, it's just boring. It was just aggressively boring. So I needed something to fill up this. And I know some people react to like their circumstances or whatever by becoming experts. And that helps some people. But for me, I needed to figure out a way to not be eclipsed by something I didn't choose. Yeah. So I was like, all right, then I'm in this waiting room all the time. I may as well work on something. So I actually, so I interviewed people for this like project I was doing on um, preacher's wives, like famous lady celebrities. And it was great because instead of thinking about my own terrible problems, I thought about other people's terrible problems. And I wrote this memoir about my terrible problems. So it was great. That's great. Well, all right. I'll accept that answer. Uh, <laughs> so tell me what it feels like, because your book is about to come out. And you, as you mentioned, you're like moving into phase two or whatever of the yeah. storm. Yes. What does it feel like? Do you do you have regrets? Or are you like, well, oh, I shouldn't have said this or yes. <laughs> Actually, I think. <laughs> Am I projecting? No, no, I do. I do. I do already have regrets. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I totally did not think this through. I think I really, I don't know. Cause when I started it, I for sure thought I would be gone by the time it was published. Are and you then serious? Like, oh, Tell for sure. The truth. Yeah, no, it was not. It was, I was, 
I was absolutely supposed to die last year. Yeah. About a year ago. You you were not in denial. You were like, yep, I'm a goner. That's it. Yeah. No, I would look at seasons and be like, okay, no. Yeah. So like I, I wrote this with very little sense that I would then have to like live with, live with it. You were like one of those people telling your secrets. I told my secret totally, <laughs> including that there was this boy I was totally obsessed with when I was 12. And like every diary entry was like, dear diary, Colin went to church again today. God. And then I like put his name in there. And then I saw him recently. I was like, oh God, I put your name in this book. What is wrong with me? Did yeah. you tell him? I was casually like, oh, oh hey, just so you know, just in a small way. Yeah. And so someday soon he's going to be like, oh, she was really into me she wasn't kidding (laughs) wow okay so people are about to all read your private stuff yeah my private business yeah yeah i i I planned this well (laughs) (laughs) and then you have your next book about ladies mega ministry late what's it called it's called the preacher's wife yeah yeah women in American mega ministry, but just like, which is honestly, I'm going to have to rewrite the epilogue because with all the me too stuff and the church Two stuff and Trump, like we just need to rethink gender in this country. So anyway, more to come on. Yeah. What, what was your aim when you were researching or or interviewing those folks and writing that book? Just out Um, of curiosity. Yeah, no, I think I was, well, I really like intellectual projects where, um, there hasn't been a lot done. Yeah. And so I love building like primary sources and doing like a bajillion interviews. And I just realized that like for every Joel Osteen, there's always a Victoria and like, she's always standing there in stilettos, like (laughs) doing something I wanted to understand. And, and also I think (laughs) just like, as you know, like women in academia, like you're always trying to figure out like, what kind of work am I doing? Is this emotional work? Is this affective work? Is this like, you know, what is, what is the, what does my body mean? Why do I feel like I have to be pretty? Like Mm -hmm. what, you know, I just want to feel like I need to affix emoticons onto everything. So yeah. So I was trying to understand what kind of labor this is in the religious world. And I love mapping stuff. So I really wanted to like dig in and map out a world people haven't fully explored yet. I'm really excited about that work too. Cause you're, you have a real, it's something magical that you can bring out in people. And, and I'm so lucky to know you and to get to read your stuff and everyone else is too. And I'm excited for them to read your memoir. Um, I ask everybody one last question. This probably won't be my actual last one because I, I could talk to you all day. But <laughs> we ask, uh, what do you keep in the trunk of your car to all of our guests? Oh, sure. Well, I'm Canadian. So the answer is flares. <laughs> I have God. Yeah, no, I have straight up flares and like traffic, you know, like. Ding, what? Ding, ding, do you like, think, what is that for? Oh, emergency. Yeah, it's for like, you know, if, if I were fully, like, I think I have a deer whistle and a bear whistle. I don't even so, know what that is. Oh, man, welcome. You've got to come up north. It is apparently terrifying there. But, uh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I have all my emergency stuff. It's great. You remember when Betsy Devo said that they needed guns in schools to protect yes. against bears? I bet you were like, you know what? That's kind of yeah, sense. yeah. We do have a lot of guns, but they are mostly just to put down animals. Yeah, maybe she belongs up there with us. So. <laughs> That's what you have in your trunk right now. Yeah, no, I have like snow removal stuff okay. and flares. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that. Like usually it's yeah. like where yeah. they are in their life. Like if you had, I don't know, books to give out or I'd sure. be like, okay, but you're just a troubleshooter. Yeah. Well, it's so weird because my life uh, does not require flares. It requires <laughs> more, more medical research money for cancer, yeah. but I'm prepared for things that probably won't happen. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you never know. Uh, okay. Wait, one thing I want to know is. Do you have advice for people, like what the heck they should say when they're dealing with, okay, what do you got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So like, don't rush, just like take a breath and don't rush for the fix it stuff. Okay. 
just realize like the person in front of you is probably having a terrible day and he or she may or may not want to talk about it. So just like simmer down, like, and be present, like just like read the room and like, just know your presence is the best part. And also feel like you want to not just give presents, but presents because I love presents Yeah, yeah. and I don't want thematic presents. I don't want like terrible bossy cancer books. I want like uh, erasers that are, you know, fruits or I want like trashy magazines or yeah, just give me crap. I really want you to be there and I want you to give me crap like a lot. Did anyone say to you, I, I don't know what to say. Yeah, that was great. And I loved it when people said, like, um, a friend of mine, uh, her mom always said, if when, when in doubt narrate, where you're just like, you know what, I just really care about you. And I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I just want to be there for you. Like when in doubt, like just describe what's happening. Like, and, and people will immediately rush in with the like, oh, like, don't worry about that. I'm just so glad you're here. And like, it gets over the awkwardness really quickly. Is it weird though that you so you're an uh, an expert in religion and on the prosperity gospel and now you kind of are going to be asked to be an expert on yeah the, this totally different thing even though you fought it I know I didn't want to be an expert and now you're yeah. like the dying and death and diagnosis expert Oh, I hope not. Right, I hope I you might. Yeah, I think I'm hoping that I can stay an expert in <laughs> religious certainty, like the way people force you to be certain about everything and that cancer can be an example and that I will graduate into other exciting topics. Right. Someday. All right. But honestly, that's partly why I started a podcast was I was like, oh my gosh, I would like to build a bridge out of just cancer world and okay. talk to other people about their stuff because... I think that's true. It's like, and this is part of the thing I noticed with the, when I was doing the preacher's wife research is especially women, when they have specialized in their own tragedy, they have to talk about that horrible thing for like three to five years until everyone's bored of it. <laughs> and I, was like, I do not want to do that. <laughs> so I'm going to have a new academic project and hopefully other people will tell me how they were a problem to be solved. And we don't always have to talk about cancer. Oh my God. Okay. And okay. For real last question. Yeah. Uh, have you, I don't know how many interviews you've done uh, for the book yet because it comes out in a minute, but is there something that people aren't asking that you wish they would Mm. about your work or about the book? No, you asked me great questions. (laughs) They were very fun and weird. I like fun and weird. Uh, let's see. No, because you asked about what other people could do and just about the, like, impulses behind it. So you're the smarty pants. We're oh good. Oh, my God. You're so great and special. <laughs> and I'm Aww. so glad that you are on the show because people are going to really love you. You you're, you should do comedy. Have you ever thought about it? <laughs> oh, oh, no. No, but weirdly, <laughs> tragedy and comedy are, like, best friends, basically. Okay, that's, that's a topic. good point. Yeah. So that's, I mean, the more tragic I get, I'm imagining I'll stay pretty funny, but if my life gets amazing, then forget it. Game over. (laughs) Well, I hope it does. And I hope it is right now and that you're able to really enjoy this moment because it's pretty special. Oh, thanks so much. I look forward to being boring with you. (laughs) 